So we're finishing up our series today on authority issues. Next week we start our new series called Summer Blockbusters, and I'm using the movie Enchanted. Um, Whether you like the movie or not, you should be here. Um, I just think it's a really funny movie, so anyway. And I'm not using the animated parts because I don't think those are funny. So uh, what we've said is that... um, God's word equals the authority of God. And so we have to get under God's word before he can trust us enough to put us over the things that he wants us to be over. You get under the things God wants you to be under so that he can put you over the things that he wants you to be over. And if you're outside of God's authority, which is God's word, if you're outside of God's authority, then you're opening up your family, your life to all the forces of hell coming down upon you. And that's not how God designed it. Last week we talked about the man's um, job description. Y'all remember what that was? Sacrifice. Women, remember it. Those were all women. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. Um, so you're really going to get hammered again today. This is supposed to be all about women, but since you didn't remember, I'm going to have to go back and, and go over that. Sacrifice. Guys, say that with me. Sacrifice. Say it again. Sacrifice. That's your job description according to Scripture. Now, women, we also said that you have a job description. I guarantee you the men are going to remember this one. What was the woman's job description? They, the guys said it with, with authority, didn't they? Submission. Right? And we said that that's not a dirty word, and we're going to talk about it today, and we're going to figure out the biblical meaning of that. Uh, several years ago, I came across uh, an article, and actually this was probably back in 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. I came across an article out of Marriage and Divorce Magazine, 1980 edition, uh, March 24th. A national survey was done by Harvard University. And I want to ask, when I tell you this, I'm going to ask how many, of pe- how many of you have heard of this. I've quoted it four or five times in the 11 years we've been in church. By the way, uh, yesterday was our 11th anniversary as New Life Community Church. Isn't that pretty cool? Um, I can't imagine my life without this church, without you people. And, uh, and by that, I mean, some of you are you pe- those people, you know, we're made up of those people and, and we're cool with that. Uh, but I really cannot imagine the last 11 years without this church and without what God has done in your lives. So, okay, I came across this, this article and, and I didn't hear it anywhere in the national media, but here's what they discovered, Harvard University, that in America in 1980, the divorce rate was, was approaching one out of every three. So that was um, 33 years ago, one out of every three. They figured out that when the, married, when the couple goes through premarital counseling and is married in a church ceremony, it drops to one out of 50 ending a divorce. You didn't know that, did you? Gets even better. But when a couple is married in a church ceremony, goes through counseling, attends church regularly, prays together, and reads the Bible together on a daily basis, the divorce rate drops to one out of 1,105. Would you say that God makes a difference in marriages? Have you ever heard of that survey? Anyone? 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 Other than the ones I've... George has heard of that. So, um, it's stupid not to have God in your marriage. I don't understand how couples make it. And I deal with couples that, that do have God, and I deal with couples that don't have God. But the difference that, that it makes being under God's authority is you don't get divorces. One out of 1,105. I want those kind of odds. In today's culture, couples, I don't know how they can do it. When you submit to God's authority, your marriage doesn't just survive, it thrives. God is a genius, and he put all of this together, and we're going to see that in a minute. Now, today we're going to talk about submission. I know submission's gotten a bad rap in our society. So I want to clarify what submission is and what submission isn't. And and anytime I talk about this, I think about the movie Coming to America, Eddie Murphy is the Prince of Zamunda. 
And in their culture, they pick out a bride from the time she's born and they train her to obey everything that the uh, future king tells her to do. And so he doesn't meet her until his wedding day. She comes down the aisle and he just kind of calls a timeout, pulls her in a side room. Look what he has to say about this topic. So, am I not all you dreamed I would be? Oh, you're fine. Beautiful. It's just that if we're going to be married, I thought we should talk to each other, get to know each other. Ever since I was born, I've been trained to serve you. Yes, I know this. But I would like to know about you. What do you like to do? Whatever you like. (laughs) What kind of music do you like? Whatever kind of music you like. Look, I know what I like. And I know you know what I like because you were trained to know what I like. But I would like to know what you like. For instance, Do you have a favorite food? Yes. Good. What is your favorite food? Whatever food you like. This is impossible. Listen, from this moment on, I command you not to obey me. No. Are you saying that no matter what I tell you to do, you will do? Yes, Your Highness. Anything I say you do? Yes, Your Highness. Bark like a dog. A big dog. Woof, 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 woof. Hop on one leg. Woof, 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 woof. Make a noise like an orangutan. Ah! I see the two of you are getting along. Excuse me, money for me. How many guys want to marry somebody who is a slave and does everything, hops on one leg and barks like a dog when you tell them to? Guys, let me see your hands. Nobody. How many women want to sign up for that job? No. Okay. So in the movie, I love the movie because in the movie, he, he spends the rest of his time looking for a woman who will stimulate his intellect as well as his loins. That's what he says in the movie. And so we're going to talk about um, biblical submission. And I got, some, I got some good news for you, ladies. Biblical submission is not mindless obedience. Neither, though, is it this manipulation deal where you make us think you're being submissive so that we think we're leading when we're really not because you're pulling the puppet strings behind us, okay? So let's figure out what it is. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Okay, men, I want you to underline that because you didn't remember it last week. I want you to underline that word sacrifice. It's on your listening guide, right? Hello? Okay, thank you. So guys, underline it. Ladies, if he won't underline it, very lovingly and very submissively underline it for him. All right? Just reach over. We're giving you permission. Because it's for his benefit that he gets this. Men are to follow the example of Christ. And, and I want to ask you a few questions about how Christ tra- treated women. Who financed, who were the primary people who financed Jesus' ministry? Women. Thank you. Who, um, when, who was the one who defended the woman at the well? Jesus. Because you remember the woman at the well, she's sitting there, and custom said, a rabbi never talks to someone lower than him, and he certainly doesn't talk to a woman. He doesn't talk to a woman of the Samaritan culture. Jesus broke all the rules because he valued women. Who were the very first people who saw that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Women. And see, here's the crazy thing about that. Their testimony didn't count. 
But Jesus elevated women. Everywhere he went, he elevated women. If you do a study of church history, Christianity, wherever it has flourished, it has raised women to the equal status with men. Jesus treated women well, and men were supposed to follow his example. What did he do? He sacrificed his life for his bride, the church. All right, now let's get to a verse that, honestly, I've never heard a, a sermon on this verse. I've heard sermons on the second verse, on verse 22, but I hadn't heard a sermon on verse 21. Let's look what it says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, submit to one another? What does that mean? Well, we talked about this last week. I said, there are certain things that Janie just has way more wisdom about than I do. And, and if I don't listen to her and I don't submit to her in those areas, it usually comes back and hurts me. It haunts me later. So I've just learned. If Janie says, if I'm thinking something and I say, hey, what do you think about this? She goes, ooh. I'm like, oh, she just shot that down. But I, I've learned to get underneath her. I, I submit to her wisdom in that area. There's other things that she submits to my wisdom. And we talked about this. There's this beautiful mutual submission going on. But the Bible says the buck stops somewhere and the buck stops with the man, according to God. Right? So even though there's this beautiful mutual submission going on, the buck stops with man, I'm responsible to God and I'm supposed to sacrifice. All right, now, verse 22, one of the most misused and un- misunderstood verses in the Bible. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Underline that little word, as, A-S. Submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife. Here's, Here's another word, as. Underline that, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. There it is again, underline it again. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just, what's that little word? As, underline that, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. So here it is in a nutshell. Women, you are to sub- wives, you're to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You submit to him not because he deserves it, but because God deserves it. And he's the one who established this authority structure. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He sacrificed for her. He gave for her. And it's not enough for you guys to say... Well, I do sacrifice for her, and she doesn't appreciate it. You have to sacrifice in a way that she feels it, that she recognizes it. And if someone else comes up to her and says, would, would you describe your husband as someone who sacrifices for her? She immediately says yes. If you're not doing that, if she doesn't say yes, you hadn't figured it out yet, and we got to go back to the drawing board. So what this really means, all right, there is no cussing involved. There's no double entendre involved in what I'm about to say to you. What this means is we have to get our as in gear. Uh, I'm, I'm not, uh, the only reason I'm telling you that is because I want you to remember this. We are supposed to do something as someone else or as unto someone else. If Jesus Christ is the risen Savior, if He is our Lord, which means He's our boss, guys, we love our wives as Christ loved the church. Ladies, you submit to your husbands as you would to the Lord. When we get our as in gear, it sets our marriages up for success. And, and we do this all the time. We, we go back to the beginning to figure out where marriage submission problems actually began. And where do you think it began? Garden of Eden. After both Adam and Eve ate the fruit, God comes down and he asks Adam, where are you? We said this last week that it's as much a spiritual question as a physical question because when Adam chose to eat, he got out from under God's authority. And there was a problem with that. And so God was trying to point that out to him. And so God says, you're going to have some struggles, Adam, because you got out from underneath my authority. 
and the, and the fur- full fury of hell, we've talked about this, was unleashed on marriages. But then, after he talks to Adam and he says, you're going to have to work really, really hard to, to make the ground produce what you're going to eat in the future. Then he turns to woman, and he has some stuff for her. This is in Genesis 3.16. You will bear children with intense pain and suffering. And although your desire will be for your husband, he will be your master. Now, we've always thought that that, that word uh, meant, that word desire meant that a wife will love her husband. Yes, that's it, but it actually means a little bit more than that. It also means that a, that a wife will want to usurp the authority of her husband. We'll have some umbrella wars going on. It's my umbrella. No, it's my umbrella. It's my umbrella. It's my umbrella. And we got these, these battles going on between husband and wife, and that's not what God intended. And so... The word implies not only that the wife will try to uh, usurp the authority of her husband, the husband will also be tempted to misuse his authority to control his wife. You see what happened whenever sin entered the world? Chaos comes to the the physical family, which is the first establishment, first thing that God established in, in creation was the physical family. These are unbelievably serious issues for marriages today. And what we've got to admit today is that if we have authority issues in marriage, it goes bigger than just our marriage. It goes, we have authority issues with God. One husband I heard about told his wife, when you come to church, don't you dare put those kids in the nursery. You are in charge of those kids. You are to take care of them. No one else is. That's an abuse of authority. That's not, that's not what God intended for husbands to do to their wives. Submission is not mindlessly obeying everything he says. So, okay, what is it? Let's get some examples. And um, let's go to the big three submission issues in marriages. Number one is finances. This is the number one cause of marital problems is finances. When it comes to finances, it, it would be appropriate to say, let's get ready to rumble, Right? Nobody in here has ever had a fight over money. Is that what y'all are telling me? <laughs> Liars. I know better. And, and see, if you really want to boil it down to the, the bottom line, when you're having financial struggles in your marriage, it means either the man or the woman or both are not under God's authority when it comes to finances. God's word tells us about finances. Did you know that Jesus spoke more about finances than he did heaven, hell, prayer, and faith combined? There are over 2,000 verses in the New Testament alone where talking about how we're supposed to do money. You know how many verses there are in the New Testament about prayer? 500. Four times as much about money as it is about prayer. What's the deal? Jesus knew that we were going to struggle to get under God's authority when it came to finances. Well, what is God's teaching on finances? Very, very clearly. We're supposed to bring 10% of our income to the local church. And, and honestly, you're not going to be under God's authority until you're bringing 10% to the local church. And people, I, I've heard all kinds of excuses why people don't give to the church. And the number one is, I can't afford to tithe. Do you know how much that is? Yeah, it's real simple. It's a decimal point. I, I've been doing it a long time. It's just 10%. It's, it's easy. Do you know how much that is? Here's what you're saying. When you say, I can't afford to tithe, what you're actually saying is, I don't want the God of the universe involved in my finances. Because if you'll go to Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, God says, you're robbing me. And they say, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings. Then he says this. He says, bring the whole tithe. The whole tithe. Do you know how much a tithe is? Literally, what does it mean? 10%. Bring the whole tithe. I've heard people say, 
Well, I give 6%. Yay, that's awesome. And and I'm not going to condemn you for that. But he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. In the Old Testament, there was a storehouse next to the temple. He said, so that there may be food in my house. In the New Testament, we're talking about the church, the place where you worship, where you are fed from Scripture on a regular basis. You're supposed to bring the tithe there. And the tithe belongs to God. It's holy. God says, the whole nation is under a curse because you've not been bringing the tithe to my storehouse. But then he says the most remarkable words in the Bible. It's the only place he ever says it. He says, test me. He's actually saying, I double dog dare you to try my way with finances. And then he says, and see if I will not pour open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings for you so much that you cannot contain it. He goes on to say, I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten, the crops that the locusts have eaten. That means that, that even though you may have had some pr- trouble in the past, God's going to bless your future. And, and let me just stop right here and let's clear this up real quickly. I'm not talking about a name it and claim it. I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm telling you exactly what God's word says. He says, you put me to the test, you do finances my way, and I will bless you. It doesn't mean that you're going to go out and you're going to get you know, some uh, Mercedes or you're going to get some Lamborghini or whatever. I'm not saying that because that's not what the scripture says. But God says, I will take care of your needs. And I've lived this for years. God's 90% goes farther. When I do 90% and give him the 10%, the 90% goes farther than a hundred percent without God. It's just his math is different than our math. And so I have people all the time say, well, I'm in debt. Shouldn't I get out of debt first? And here's my response to you. If you're in debt and you say, shouldn't I get out of debt before I tithe? My response is, when do you want God involved in your finances? Now or when you've retired all your debts? Because God clearly says, Get underneath my authority when it comes to your finances, and I will take care of your needs. Not your greeds, I will take care of your needs. And so if you're not under God's authority, here's why God's not answering your financial prayers. Because he's not obligated, even for his children, to bless people who are disobedient. Especially when you're willfully disobedient. And so if you do finances God's way, and we've taught this for 11 years... Every year, at least once a year, I teach on finances. And we've said, if you'll do 10% is God's. This, by the way, this is the same thing that Dave Ramsey will teach you in Financial Peace University. The first 10% off the top is God's. That's the whole idea of the first fruits of all those things in the Old Testament. God said, give me the first, the best, and then I'll bless you. And then if you'll save 10%, and then if you'll live off of 80%, you will never get lost financial that way, ever. I promise you. We now have an emergency fund that's, that's fairly large for us. Some of y'all would laugh at it, but it's fairly large for us. It's funny how when you have an emergency fund, you stop having emergencies. Because then, you know, and I've told you this, several years ago we started this whole process and and we had a clutch go out on our car and it was $1,850 and Janie, Janie was really nervous. And I said, baby, have you looked in the envelope? She goes, no. In our little car envelope, she goes in there and counts it up. We had $2,000 in our envelope. I said, does that make you feel better? She goes, yes. I said, doing things God's way is just smart. It makes sense. Um, and, and I'll just tell you this. When, when you don't contribute, you really don't have ownership. When, what we try to teach, what, God's, what, the, what the church is supposed to be is the body of Christ, and we take ownership by serving and giving. Uh, when we picked up Hannah yesterday, we found out that, that the Pine Cove counselors, who, who I think they, they said make 27 cents an hour when you count that they're there 24 hours a day for however many weeks, they make about 27 cents an hour. 
they, uh, they talk about scholarships that, that allow kids to go, and they said the camp counselors, these are college students, these are poor college students making 27 cents an hour, the camp counselors have given over $80,000 for next year for scholarships for kids to come. That's because they believe in what God is doing at that camp. When you believe that God is somewhere, you'll contribute. Second thing that we struggle on the big three is kids. Kids will suck the life out of you. Kids will play you against each other at the drop of a hat. They know. They come out the womb wanting to take your authority, but needing you to be in charge. Think your kid's like a sheriff in the old westerns. I just picture this all the time. The the sheriff would go around town after dark, and he would check all the doors of all of the, the businesses. And what he wanted was for the door to be locked. Because then he would just move to the next one. But if the door was unlocked, what would the sheriff do every time? He would feel compelled to go in and see what's going on. That's your kids. Your kids actually want and need authority. But when they find that that the boundaries are not really firm, it confuses them and they feel compelled to see where that boundary is. When Caleb was three, um, we were having some some authority issues with him. And um, we we had put him in his bedroom. You know, he had a big boy bed and all of that stuff. And so... Uh, he would get up. He, he just felt compelled. The door was open. And so if the door was open and, and we were still in the living room, he just felt compelled to wander the house. And so we swatted his little behind, put him back in bed. We told him about the necessity of staying in bed and he never would stay in bed. And so my wife, here's one of her wisdom things. She says, let's put up a gate because he would freak out if we closed the door. Just chill. I mean, check out and, and just everybody in the neighborhood would know what's going on. So she said, let's put the little gate up. So we put the little gate up. First night, he's standing at the gate. Mommy, daddy, daddy. And, and I think, I don't remember exactly, one of the first two nights, he falls asleep on the floor right there next to the gate. And I remember looking going, that's wisdom right there. He showed me. The next night, after he fell asleep on the floor, the next night, he, he fell asleep in his bed. And I was like, dude, this is pretty cool. So one night, several weeks later, I was kissing him goodnight because I would always go read to the kids and we'd pray and I'd kiss him goodnight. And, and I walk out and I forgot to put up the gate. And I'm walking down the hall to the living room and all of a sudden I hear, Daddy. And I'm like, what, dude? He said, need to fix the gate. <laughs> so I walked back and I looked in the room. I said, do you want me to fix the gate? Yes, sir. Okay. So I put the gate up. Dude went to sleep. I walked down the hall and I thought, He needed a barrier. He needed to know what the boundaries were. And it actually made him feel more secure. He was able to go to sleep. Hmm. Your kids need boundaries. They need appropriate, reasonable boundaries. There are some unreasonable ones. And and I've said this before, but this is is true. In, In kids, especially teenagers, rules without relationship equals rebellion. If, you're, if your kids are rebelling, it usually means that there's something wrong in your relationship with them, and maybe you need to sit down and figure out what that is. And, and all kids are going to test the boundaries, and you're going to have to discipline them. That, that's just the way it goes. But the stronger your relationship is with a child, the less discipline it requires to get them back where they need to be under God's authority. So parents, please, please, please don't ever hand the, authority of umbrella, the umbrella of authority to your children because they'll take it and they'll run with it. And and the penitentiaries are filled with people who never understood, never got the grasp of appropriate authority issues, appropriate boundary issues. They don't know, and so they just go and do whatever, and and our jails are filled with folks like that. Your kids are in training for life, and when, when you train them appropriately, they'll actually look for a spouse 
who has the same type of training. And if for no other reason, purely selfish reasons, train your kids to be under authority because you'll never, ever get away from their spouse. Some of y'all just getting that. Or, or it hits too close to home and you're going, oh, I know that's right, baby. Because they already messed up. And it's too late then. So let's train them to find attractive. Let's pray. We pray all the time that our kids will only find attractive those folks who are sold out to Christ. Because life with someone who isn't following Christ is torture. Third one. I actually should have given you a little bit of warning about this one. Anybody guess what this one is? Sex. And you can say that in church. And, and we're going to do this. Keith, Keith just constantly hammers me about this, that we need to have a little counter that we put up in the corner how many times I say sex. And so if y'all want to, just for fun, you can mark down on your, on your uh, listening guide how many times, because I don't know how many times I'm going to say it. But, but, I, but I hear that sometimes one partner is in the mood for sex and one isn't. Is that true? That's never happened in my house. I don't know. What do you do when somebody's not in the mood? When one partner wants to have sexual relations, the other doesn't. Do you pout? Do you fight? Do you run away? Do you find a new partner? Well... If, if you're smart, if you have wisdom, you'll get under God's authority. So what does God say? Very, very clear, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. But because there is so much sexual immorality, I don't get credit for that one. God said that one, not me. So much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each uh, woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to the husband. The husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Once I marry, my body is not my own. It belongs to my wife. And man, she likes my body. I'm beating her off all the time. I'm telling you, it's those quiet ones. The husband has a wife. (laughs) I know. Anytime I mention sex, she doesn't want anybody to know that we've ever had sex. Um, Anytime I mention it, I have to give you, don't look her in the eye when you go back there. She knows what this is about, and she's already read before y'all get back there to pick up your children. Just walk by and, you know, do the blinder thing. Shield your eyes. That'll make her feel better. Um, I have authority over my wife's body. She has authority over my body, and the only time that I'm supposed to say no or she's supposed to say no is because of prayer. Oh, wow. Well, because of Scripture and because we love each other, We've developed this 24-hour no, so, you know, because I'm going to read you something from K. Arthur. K. Arthur has the Precept Bible Study uh, Ministry, and I'm going to read you something about that. But there, there are other things to take into consideration besides just prayer. But, but we have this 24-hour no, and we've just figured out that, that if, if there's a no at this time, within 24 hours, we have to make time for each other. K. Arthur says this in her book, Marriage Without Regrets. Think before you say no. And this is tough, and this comes from a lady. That's why I'm reading it. There is no reason to refuse one another's sexual satisfaction. Abstinence should only come by mutual agreement and then only for a reasonable amount of time. The purpose for abstinence should be for extended prayer, period. How many times has your wives used that one? No, baby, I'm praying. Um, I don't feel like it because I'm close to the Lord. No, it's mutual submission and both of you are agreeing to pray. Headaches, backaches, and being tired are not legitimate excuses, although out of love, these along with other reasons should be considered. Guys, get that. We should consider those things because we love her. 
You need to remember that there is nothing wrong with the raw sexual drive. God created us with desires and hormones. So if you deprive one another of God's means of quenching sexual fire, you put your mate squarely into the path of temptation, and you will answer for that because you have sinned by disobeying God. She continues, once you say no to your partner, it's easier to say no the next time and to continue to come up with excuses. It has been proven that the more you put off this intimate oneness, the easier it becomes and the less you desire it. It becomes a sad habit of life, a residual recurring infection, insidiously draining the marriage of its vitality and strength. That's an awesome sentence. I'm going to say it again. It becomes a sad habit of life, a residual recurring infection, insidiously draining the marriage of its vitality and strength. It robs us of a depth of intimacy we all need, and it wounds the one who was rejected. He or she can't help feeling, what's wrong with me? Because the person who promised before God to meet my needs has just rejected me. Sex affirms our masculinity and our femininity femininity at the uh, deepest level. Femininity. Sometimes, sometimes the most loving thing a wife can do when her husband is dealing with some sort of blow to his ego or self-worth is to become the aggressor in the bedroom. Sex with your mate can be a very valuable ministry, and that is how you need to see it sometimes. When you say no for illegitimate reasons, especially repeatedly, it puts you both in a vulnerable position. Sex is an integral part of our design, something we need and long for, something that divines, defines us at the deepest level. It hurts to be denied. And so then um, I, I came across this study that the LA Times did, and here's what they said. Studies have revealed that the satisfactory adjustment of sexual relations takes the average couple about six years. That was us. It took us six years to figure out sex. We, we'd nev- we were virgins when we got married, didn't have a clue, didn't know what we were doing. It took us about six years to figure that out. So we're about average. 12% of the couples were able to make satisfactory adjustments within the first year of marriage. I don't even know how that happened, but, uh, but you, praise God if you're one of those people. About 10% took up to 20 years to r- arrive at the adjustments and gave them a satisfying love life. Bottom line, it means don't quit trying. Um, because I'll tell you, we've been married 22 years, and, and now the first six years of our marriage, when, when you know, because of, of birth control pills, her, her sex drive was not very high, and, and I felt rejected, and we worked through stuff, and, and um, the, the, then we finally figured things out, got her on new birth control pills, and, and man, stuff changed, and I was happy. And, and here's what I'm telling you that I wouldn't trade those first six years for anything because I walked this path of intimacy with my wife and I learned something new about her and how God designed us. So don't give up. You may have had bad experiences. Do not cheat your spouse um, of, of these experiences. Okay, let me finish up with this. Um, the biggest thing you've got to do in your relationship is make time for one another. And uh, think about it like a balanced diet. There are times when your spouse, you and your spouse need a snack. There are times when you and your spouse need a dinner. There are times when you need a banquet. And you have to, if you have to answer questions about this to your kids, I'm sorry. A snack is maybe five minutes. A dinner may be 10 to 20 minutes. A banquet is anything over half an hour. Men, man shall not live by snacks alone. <laughs> if you're feeding your wife a steady diet of snacks, you're actually contributing to her malnourishment emotionally, spiritually, physically, and you'll answer to God for that. 
No woman can be the person God wants her to be or respond to her husband in the way that God wants her to respond if she's on a diet of snacks. You need to make time. And so Janie and I have discovered, you know, with kids in the home, there's not a lot of time for banquets, so you need to budget some time for motels. And some of you are going to say, I don't have time to go to the motel with my spouse. I don't have money to go to the motel. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be in trouble if you don't. We, we do a vacation every year, just me and Janie. We do a vacation with our kids. And, and I'll tell you, your kids will survive. And it's actually good for your relationship if you get away with your spouse. And so I remember when we had young children, we couldn't afford Jack. And people would come and they would take our kids for the weekend. And, and they would give us you know, a, a gift card to a hotel. Or one time they sent us to 7F Lodge, which is bed and breakfast outside of College Station. That is an awesome place. And, and people would just do stuff for us, and I'm so grateful. And there are people in this church that will do that for you young couples. We'll watch kids for free because we know this is a ministry that you need. And, and maybe you need to just get involved in a small group. Part of the reason you don't know people in the church because you're not in a small group. Get in a small group, and you'll find out people will do things for you, and they'll bless your life. We're going to be having small group kickoffs in, in August, but we'll talk more about that. Um, if you don't create a magnet at home, Satan will make sure that there's a magnet outside the home. That's, that's what he does. And so what I want you to do is I want you to form a relationship with your spouse that is so strong that they, would, they think to themselves, I'd be a fool to look for anything else. I heard one guy say, why would I look for a Volkswagen on the side when I got a Cadillac at home? I'm not a Cadillac guy. I'm a Yamaha guy. I got a Yamaha. <laughs> Ladies, let me just ask you this and we're done. When you're on a diet, food diet, how often do you think about food? How, how often? If you can remember that and you can think about your husband and you can remember that feeling of how you think about food, it helps you understand what his hormones do to him when it comes to sex. And if you keep him on a, on a diet, you're actually putting him in the bullseye of the target for your enemy to bring someone along, and, and your enemy will. And I'm not saying it's your fault if you don't have sex. With, there's never a reason to commit adultery, okay? But what I'm saying is, Janie and I had this talk a long time ago, and couples, the only people on the planet that aren't talking about sex are couples in churches. <laughs> couples in churches should be talking about it because God designed it, and it's one of His greatest gifts to us. It cannot sustain your marriage, but man, it can sure... Fan into flames, your marriage, the passion that you have for your spouse. And so we need to get under God's authority in this thing and, and not deprive our mates. And, and just one other thing that just hit me. Ladies, you need to be careful how you dress. And, and I, know, I know you want to look cute. I don't give a rip whether you look cute or not. I don't want to see your stuff. And, and your, brothers and sis, your brothers in Christ don't need to see it either. Years ago, a friend of mine, we were in Sunday school, and, and he gets up and he moves. And finally, he moved once, he moved again, and finally he walked out of the class. And later I said, what, what in the world? And he said, dude, if you want me to be honest, he said, there was a hot chick in a short dress, and I couldn't handle it. And I thought, how sad that somebody was more interested in... in and looking cute than they were than protecting their brother. We've got to look out for each other. 
Father, help us to understand what authority means and that when we do marriage your way, our marriages thrive. And help us to, to really look out for our brothers and sisters in Christ and help us to make a commitment to love our spouses in such a way that, that they never even consider that the, that the grass is brown on the other side of the fence because our love for them is so endearing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.